You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode after a week off last week is Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, you're back. Hey, man, you let me have a week off. I'm, I'm glad that uh, <laughs> glad I glad I was able to relax and uh, certainly back to talk about some exciting stuff tonight. Yeah, uh, Connor O'Gara was our guest uh, last uh, last week, uh, and you know, it, I thought it was pretty you know pretty interesting. And that you and I have been talking, and we'll, we'll do a areas for improvement uh, show uh, coming up in a couple weeks or so, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, uh, as good as last year was, you know, there are still areas for improvement. As I said, we'll get to that. But, uh, but the first one there was, uh, you know, Gators got to improve uh, in the in their own division. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's what everybody expects to see. The the losses to Kentucky and Missouri are going to be things that can't happen in year two and year three if Florida wants to get where the fans want want them to go. Um, but certainly sometimes you have those hiccups early on. And, and a lot of times in year two and year three, you see teams take – you know, they may be better teams in year two, but they don't necessarily perform quite as well. So it was it was interesting to see uh, Connor's take on that. And, uh, and yeah, I'm interested to see where the, where the season goes this year. All right. So as I say, a couple more weeks, uh, Will and I will be uh, looking at some areas from improvement for improvement uh, for the Gators. But tonight we're going to take a look at some key Gators that will be instrumental uh, in the 2019 season. But before we get there, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and uh, also catch the podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, YouTube and Spotify. When using those services, please go out there, share, rate, review the show, put some reviews out there uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all that good stuff, and uh, follow us on social media as well on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So as I mentioned, this episode is about some key Gators that we'll be taking a look at, uh, important Gators, some guys coming back from injuries, some guys who really need to step up. And, Will, I'm going to start at the position unit that has the biggest question mark, and uh, you released an article that we'll get into later on. But uh, the biggest question mark for the Gators and, uh, of course, his offensive line, this player can be key because while it has been said many times that Florida has to replace four starters from last year's offensive line, he still brings a ton of experience to the offensive line, and that's Brett Hagee. 
you know, while Florida is replacing four starters, I really think you can say three, you know, as Hagee would have been starting last season had he had he stayed healthy. Uh, so given the inexperience at, at left tackle where it looks like Stone Forsyth and in, in his three starts will get the nod, uh, right guard where Chris Blyke has no starts, right tackle where Gene DeLance has no starts. You know, it, it, Hagee staying healthy, bringing back all the experience that he brings is really key uh, to me. And it essentially means you're reducing the inexperience on the line and mainly starting experience there. So, you know, Heggie started seven games, played in eight in 2017, uh, where many of us viewed him as one of, if not the best offensive lineman the Gators had in, in Michael Wins last season. He was a bright spot in an otherwise forgettable offensive line performance there. Uh, we were excited to see him get to work under John Hevesy. Still played nine games last season, but didn't start as he battled injuries throughout last season. And this was after he got injured versus Missouri in 2017. So he's got 17 games worth of experience, Will. Uh, Nick Buchanan at center, who played in and started 12 games last season uh, there. So Heggie and Buchanan bring a ton of experience to this offensive line. And and that does, you know, that gets the – an offensive line that gets the tag of having to replace four starters. But that doesn't mean there isn't starting experience there. Uh, and really – be it can be looked at as only replacing three starters because Heggie brings enough starting experience and overall experience to me. Yeah, you know, the injury bug I think has really been the thing that concerns people when it comes to Heggie is can he stay healthy? And it, and it hasn't just been during the actual season. It's been, you know, during spring practice or during fall camp. He hasn't necessarily been out there getting the reps that all the other guys have, particularly last year. And and so you wonder, you know, the SEC is a, is a tough league and Florida was pretty fortunate last year to basically have all five starters stay healthy all year, all year long. You know, you, you don't figure that's going to swing in the complete opposite direction, but you also figure that you're going to have a high ankle sprain or you're going to have somebody a running back roll up on an offensive lineman at some point throughout the year. And so, you know, the guys who have the experience, Buchanan and Heggie, are really the guys that you that you hope that doesn't happen to because they can anchor the middle of that line. And, you know, last year I think you would say that uh, – that Buchanan, Tyler Jordan, and Fred Johnson were probably the weaker links on the offensive line. You looked at Ivy at left tackle and Juwan Taylor at right tackle and said, there's your strength. I think this year you go into it saying Heggie and Buchanan side by side are really your strength just from an experience standpoint. Um, and, and so, you know, really – the offensive line is going to have that strength up the middle, which if you think about what happened in the last three or four games where Felipe Franks was running a lot more up the middle, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have your strength at the guard in the center position, or at least your experience at the guard in the center position, particularly as you break in some of those tackles. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously – Anytime you've got an inexperienced offensive line, um, the guys who have experience are going to be important, and I think that's true for Heggie as well as as well as Buchanan. I think those two guys, sort of in tandem there on the the left center of the line, are going to play a big role, especially early on against Miami. Yeah, I would say he's key. As also, you know, I don't want to say he's key just because he's a healthy body out there. He's a he's a good player. I mean, and it really changes the the narrative that Florida only has experience coming back with Buchanan because, you know, while, while most Gator fans know this, when outsiders are looking at Florida and you hear all the time they got to replace four starters, you know, they're just going to assume they're just not really places where there actually is experience and starting experience. So, you know, not to mention Heggie is a, is a really good guard when he's out there. Uh, he's got some nice pulling ability and, and has a mean streak getting that, that John Hevesy likes. So by him being out there, that, that may keep you from having to throw, say, Ethan White or William Hurrah before they're ready uh, out there. So, you know, I have 
confidence in John Hevesy to getting the most out of his offensive line. Or we'll get into that uh, later on, and you know him dealing with the inexperience out there. But you know, Heggie will bring some continuity, and if healthy, will keep the offensive line from being so inexperienced. Keeps that left side solidified, Frank's blind side solidified with some with with, with some experience out there. And Will, I know, uh, just putting out there, there's there's another offensive lineman that you got an eye on for for a key season this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple of things I, I want to add to what you said there. Obviously, Heggie has been a good player when he's been out there, and, and you don't necessarily want to want to undersell that. The other thing is, is that you know when you actually look at the number of games these guys have played in, so Stone Forsyth. He had he played in 15 games overall in his career. Heggie's played in 17. Buchanan's played in 15. Chris Blake played in four, but still was able to redshirt last year. Richard Garage, who's the guy you're sort of alluding to, played in two games last year. And then Gene Delance played in six. And Noah Banks, who's now going to be a senior, played in 12 last year. So there's there's quite a bit of actual game experience of so 71 total games amongst those seven guys. And then you know, so if they can all be effective and sort of be interchangeable parts, then you might be able to sustain an injury but no I mean I, I to me the guy I'm really looking at this year especially early on is Richard Garage I think you know if you it, he was a high level recruit two years ago was able to was able to redshirt last year, but now he's had an entire year in Hevesy's system and Mullen's system and in Savage's strength and conditioning system. And, you know, he was a high-level four-star guy, the 81st-ranked overall recruit. You, Mullen hasn't necessarily brought in a whole lot of guys who are ranked higher than him. And so if you're going to do that, you need those guys who are rated in the top 100 to deliver. And, you know, this is really a year where you've got you know, there are some open spots that Garage should be able to step into. And so I'm looking to see whether he's able to take that next step and really earn that job in fall camp. Yeah, that's really what it is, is he can take that take that next step. And I think when we were kind of forecasting, uh, you know, after last season ended, who would maybe be out, you know, who would be out there through spring practice and when we go and when Florida goes against Miami, and I think, you know, because of Gerard's recruiting pedigree, I think you know, he got thrown in there. But Stone Forsyth really kind of went through spring and kind of just seemed, seemed, seemed the guy who just kind of just steady there. And, you know, uh, I think Will, and uh, we'll get to your article uh, here that was, you know, well received uh, out there and talking about this offensive line. It's, I, get, I, th- I think the thought has to become now is this offensive line serviceable? Can they be more than serviceable? How fast does it take to grow? How fast does it take to come together? How fast does it come for those guys to jail together? And you know, and I've said this before uh, on the podcast, and you know, talking about about these guys here, it's how beneficial is it with them being with John Hevesy for two years? Last year, you had a lot of experience, but not a lot of experience in this offense. Not a lot of experience in Dan Mullen's offense. Not a lot of experience working with John Hevesy. Not a you can call it experience in a way, not a lot of experience working out with Nick Savage in the, in the, uh, in the training room and, and, and all these summer workouts and, and winter workouts that they went through uh, when Dan Mellon was first hired. You know, I, I don't know if how we can measure that. Uh, we, you alluded to it that last year's offensive line was able to stay healthy, but now you have, that's, you know, we'll say it just for the sake of saying it, but four new starters. But like I said, you can kind of say three with the way you want to maybe categorize Brett Hagee here. But another year with Nick Savage, another year with John Hevesy, another year uh, with Dan Mullen scheming, maybe we do see this group of uh, starting five offensive linemen and a couple, two or three reserves come together much faster than what we saw last year just because of the experience that they got in year one. 
Yeah, well, I mean, last year you could see that the offensive line was a little bit overwhelmed, especially early on against Kentucky. By the time you got to the Florida State games and the Michigan game, that just wasn't true anymore. The offensive line was really communicating well, playing well, and was was picking up stunts and all sorts of other things that that you would expect from a from an offensive line that both has experience but also has been coached throughout the year. So you expect to see that a little bit as as the season goes on, and and I would expect there to be some you know for there to be a little bit of a learning curve that there are going to be some mistakes made. And, you know, one of the things I think that we're going to get into as the, as the off season progresses is Miami had a pretty solid defense last year. In fact, a really good defense last year and a pretty good defensive front. And so, you know, is the Florida offensive line going to be able to hold up early on? That's going to be one of the questions, but you know, there are ways to scheme around that. There are ways to take the pressure off your offensive line. Uh, Mullen and Hevesy aren't stupid. They're going to know where their, where their holes are and they're going to try to figure out how to cover those up. And the other thing is, is I think, you know, last year, those guys, you know, Ivy obviously had a pretty high pedigree, but still didn't end up drafted in the NFL. And then you got Jawan Taylor on the other side, he sort of reverted back to his 2016 form. Um, you know, so it's not as if he wasn't, as if he wasn't, uh, wasn't talented enough. I mean, obviously a first round draft pick, but you know, we're not talking about a considerably more talented offensive line. I mean, the offensive line last year averaged 3.4 stars and an 87.6 rating. The offensive line this year, if you've got Garage in there, averages a 3.2 with an 87.4 rating. So from a talent perspective, these guys are right on par with with where they were last year. I think it's a little bit more evenly distributed throughout the line. I mean, last year, Ivy was really the guy sort of propping up all those ratings. And this year, they're replacing them with more talented players, but with more inexperience. And so, you know. But this is what happens in college football, right? I mean, in college football there, like, and we're going to be going through this next offseason where we're talking about the wide receivers, yep. where all the wide receivers are leaving. Where are they going to find production, especially if Kadarius Tony has a big year and he decides to go pro? Well, now all of a sudden, you know, you don't um, – you don't have anybody coming back at, at, at the wide receiver position and you know guys like RJ Henderson and, and Jacob Copeland and all those guys are going to have to step up and we're going to say, we haven't seen it yet, but these guys have a pedigree. I think it's sort of the same thing with the offensive line this year. Yeah. I've, I've put it together that they, that they probably have to replace at least five receivers. If with Tony, probably six and will all that maybe with starting uh, a brand-new quarterback as well for Felipe Franks leave. So yeah, the passing game could – we'll, we'll have plenty of time to get to it. But, yeah, it's kind of the, the – the, I don't know why it took me so long to kind of pair those together. But, uh, yeah, you could be looking at Emory Jones and a slew of new receivers. Hey, but with a more experienced offensive line next year. So that, that, and, that, and that's sort of my point, right? Is yeah. It's rare to get to the point where you've – and, and you know Alabama's gotten to this point. Clemson's hey, gotten to this point. Before, and before and before we go right there, Will Georgia's going to be looking at the same situation next year if Jake Fromm leaves, and they're probably losing four or five. They're probably losing four or five offensive linemen after this year. They could be looking a lot like Florida going into the, this coming year, where they have to replace four out of five offensive linemen and a, a and a quarterback if Jake Fromm decides to go pro. Absolutely. But I mean, that's kind of my point, right? Is that in college football, you're always going to be replacing somebody and you'd like to have it be balanced, right? I mean, you'd like to have a couple of juniors and maybe a sophomore and a, and a, and a couple of true freshmen or something playing or a couple of redshirt freshmen playing on your offensive line. That's just not the case right now. They're not going to be able to do that. And so, you know, next year, yeah, there'll be a experienced offensive line on the field, but you're going to have to, but there are going to be other areas on the field that where guys have left and they're going to have to fill in those holes too. I mean, the reality is, is just over a four or five year period, 
you're always going to have holes to fill. That's why you recruit. It's why we harp on recruiting so much. And it's why it's so important, right? That you have to have guys who can step in high level guys who can play when they're true freshmen. And, you know, again, I, I think the other thing that we're sort of discounting here a little bit with the offensive line, or maybe don't have any way of gauging is all the guys who are coming in as true freshmen who have, I mean, the, the offensive line recruiting this past year for Florida was excellent. A lot of blue chip guys, a lot of top level guys coming in on the offensive line. And if those guys pan out or if they show flashes, um, even if they're a little bit inconsistent, if they can, if they can pick up the system pretty quickly, then they may contribute as well. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more bullish on the offensive line than maybe most people are. I just, I tend not to worry about the on-field performance from the guys that Mullen gets. I think he's got a pretty good track record. Hevesy as well has a pretty good track record that they're going to be successful. Um, you know, again, I think there will be some growing pains. And you sort of say, okay, where's my baseline start from? But you know, we would have said the same thing last year looking at that offensive line. It's like yep. we had no idea what to expect. And I, I remember Cole Kubelik was predicting Florida was going to have the best offensive line in the in the conference two years yeah. you know, in 2017, and the offensive line was terrible. And so then nobody really expected anything from them in 2018. They were pretty decent. So, so maybe, maybe Cole was the year just ahead of schedule. Maybe maybe he saw the maybe he saw the baseline talent and it just never came to fruition. He he's the one who probably called in the death threats and got rid of McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. It's a joke. But yeah, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody saw the talent on the offensive line. I think it's the same thing this year. I think plenty of people are going to uh, – will have seen the talent. The question is, can they stay healthy? Can they maintain continuity? That's a big thing last year. I mean, when you looked at the tape of the Michigan game, those guys were playing as one unit rather than playing as individuals. I think when you look at the tape of the Kentucky game, they were playing more as individuals than they were as a unit. And that's sort of what you're going to have to build over the course of hopefully spring camp. They've already initiated that. But then in fall camp, they'll be able to really gel together because it's it's not Charleston Southern coming up week one this year. That's right. Uh, and I'll get to a skill player right here that Will and I both like before we get into Will's article because all this kind of comes together with, with the skill players and, and the offensive line. But Will had some really good numbers uh, for uh, what happened at Florida this past year and what happened at Mississippi State this past year uh, as well. We're looking at Dan Mullen and John Hevesy there. Uh, so, Will, the, the skill player that I want to bring up that, that is key uh, for me, I know you and I have talked, uh, behind the scenes about him a little bit. More. One running back in Malik Davis. And I, I still think he is the player that can be a, a difference maker, playmaker at running back, if he's still able to be the type of player that we saw in 2017. And let's go back and look at what he brought to the table uh, in 2017 before being injured versus Georgia that season. Played in seven games, starting two before suffering season-ending injury against Georgia. He ranked second on the team in rushing. Uh, totaling 526 yards on 79 carries and two touchdowns. Uh, despite the injury, uh, ranks fourth in Florida's history for most net rushing yards by a true freshman since 1996. Um, this is behind Ernest Graham, Jeff Demps, Deshaun Wynn. Uh, recorded five games with 90-plus yards, including career-high 124 uh, against Vanderbilt. He also became the first true freshman in Florida history to rush for over 100 yards and two touchdowns in a game since Jeff Demps did so against Arkansas. Uh, overall, he became the 17th Florida true freshman since 1955 to rush for over 100 yards in a game. He ranked third in the SEC for most net rushing yards by a true freshman. Uh, and then uh, he was named to the coaches' freshman all-SEC team year uh, that, that year, Will. So only playing in seven games, of course, he was needed after Jordan Scarlett was not able to play in 2017. Uh, came in as a true freshman, was behind the Michael Piran. 
after only seven games, uh, was still named to the coaches freshman all SEC team. So all this after only playing in seven games, he averaged 6.7 yards per carry in 2017 behind an offensive line that did him no favors whatsoever. Uh, we all remember the type of season that Michael Piran had last year in 2018, but his 2017 numbers don't compare to what Davis was bringing to the table uh, as far as yards per carry go. Piran averaged 4.1 yards uh, in the 2017 season compared to Davis's 6.7 uh, P. Ryan showed how much he could improve behind an improved offensive line and better scheme and raised his yards per carry average up to 6.2 uh, last year. So two-yard difference for LaMichael P. Ryan from 2017 to 2018. So I'm ready to see Malik Davis get that chance too. We saw P. Ryan bust long runs toward the end of last season, uh, but Davis still has that extra gear, that top-end speed that I'm not so sure the other running backs bring to the table. And look, in no means, I don't want anybody to get this confused, I am not calling him Percy Harvin by any, by any means. But in both their junior seasons, they have a similar build. 5'11", Davis is at 5'11", 191. Percy was 5'11", 195. Percy with a faster 40-time clock with a 4.35. Davis ticked slower, 4.43. But the reason I bring all this up is Davis isn't – yeah, he's, he isn't the all-around, all-purpose type Percy Harvard but was, but I think we'll see Davis in the similar style runs Percy was used in the, as a, in the backfield. You know, the counter, the pitches, the sweeps, the speed option, all those types of runs to test the edges, use straight-line speed burst to get big gains, difference-making runs. So like I said, we saw P. Ryan get those types of runs late last season, but uh, I still think Davis is that guy that consistently – get those types of big plays as long as he's healthy and can stay on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll know early on, right? I mean, so um, two years ago, he averaged 6.7 yards per carry on 79 carries. Last year, he only had 13 carries before he got injured, but he only averaged 4.7 yards per rush. Now, that's not really unusual when you have somebody coming off of an injury. So, I mean, if you look at Nick Chubb in 2015, I mean, he was averaging 8.1 yards per carry, had that horrible knee injury and came back and averaged five the year after. And then in his senior year, when he was splitting carries with DeAndre Swift, averaged six yards a carry. So um, I would still say that the explosiveness of Chubb was um, less in his senior year than it was his freshman and his sophomore year before he got injured. And the question is just going to be how much explosiveness does Malik Davis have? Um, as far as the Percy Harvin role, you know, I, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of getting him on the edge and sort of some of those some of those option plays where they're really trying to get somebody on the edge using him in that capacity. The difference is, is that when you optioned Percy Harvin into the backfield, you now had him on a linebacker, basically. And yeah. and, and you don't necessarily – like, I don't know that by having the personnel out there where he's a wide receiver and he's out wide, and then you motion him into the backfield, it gives you some schematic advantages. That if Malik Davis isn't, isn't capable of doing that sort of stuff on the outside, you don't get that schematic advantage just from the 11 guys that the defense puts on the field. Um, but at the same time, if if you're running a 4-4 out there and you're able to make guys miss in open space, I mean, you know, there were some plays last year against LSU where uh, – um, where P. Ryan, you know, busted maybe a 20, 25-yard mm -hmm. run, and you wonder whether that one goes 80. And we've talked a lot this offseason about Florida not necessarily having a guy who can take it to the house and make people miss, even in a situation where maybe, you know, 
he gets stopped for a five-yard gain or the guy busts it for 40. And how often does has Florida had a player who's been able to bust it for 40? Um, Tony's really the only one who comes to mind. He hasn't really taken it to the house that much when he's had the opportunity. I mean, he's turned sort of two-yard gains into 12, but he hasn't turned 12 into 50. So if Malik Davis can do that, then obviously he's going to find his way out onto the field. And, and I think a lot of it hinges on how healthy is he and is the – has the extra year off basically because of the foot injury given him time to recover from the knee injury. And is he going to be as explosive as he was before? I think, I think that is the biggest question. If he, if he still has that explosiveness, then I think uh, there's an arsenal in, in the backfield of Florida, you know, even with Jordan Scarlett and Michael P Ryan uh, together last year to still, you know, they're, they're not the, they're more of the, uh, it, and that's another thing about the offensive line. And we'll get here too. They don't, they really helped these running backs not get tackled for for losses. You know, they, they were always getting positive yardage. And those running backs were good at getting positive yardage, but not necessarily busting the big play. Like I said, like Michael P. Ryan busted a few, a few uh, a couple toward the end of the season, but uh, not sure uh, we get that consistency there. Um, uh, like I think we can get from Davis as far as big play uh, ability goes. So will we discuss a couple of key offensive line Man, um, and a running back that will have to run behind those big men. P. Ryan had the luxury of running behind an experienced offensive line last season, and all of that, uh, you know, just brought up about Davis being a key player. Also, depends on how well this new offensive line comes together. And you released a, a great look into this new look offensive line, and maybe we shouldn't be as worried about the offensive line because of Mullen and Hevesy's history uh, and the vast improvement the Gators' uh, offensive line made last season. Yeah, I mean, everybody saw that Florida improved last year on the offensive line. I think it was pretty obvious to anyone who was watching and anybody who had watched from last year. I mean, you mentioned P. Ryan, I think, went from averaging something like 4.8 or 4.7 yards per rush to averaging up over six last year. And that's that can't just be P. Ryan, right? I mean, you don't typically see that kind of leap from one year to the next, especially because the two previous years, he'd sort of had the same the same yards per rush. Now, certainly, I'm sure he got stronger under Savage, and, and he was given more time to sort of get into a rhythm, but at the same time, you attribute some of that to the offensive line. And in fact, you, it bears out when you start looking at the stats. So Football Outsiders has some really good stats, both from a running perspective and from a passing perspective. And if you look at last year, on the running stats, Basically, every single stat, if you take 2015 through 2017, so the McIlwain, Nussmeyer regime or reign of terror, whatever you want to call it, and compare it to 2018 on the ground, Florida was you know 55 times better in a stat called line yards, which basically is how much yardage did the offensive line earn versus how much did the running back earn. Um, you know, Really, the only thing that they were close to close to the McElwain Nussmeyer regime was power success rate, which is short yardage. So in short yardage, they weren't much better. They were about middle of the pack, but everywhere else, you know, 12th in line yards, 13th in standard down line yards, 27th in pass down line yards, 17th in opposition rate. So, you know, basically when it came to the running game, everything improved from the, from the McElwain regime to the Mullen regime. And the same thing applied when, when it came to passing. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Felipe Franks played a lot better and he wasn't on his back very often. And I also don't think it's a coincidence that when he got pressured, that was when the interceptions came. So the one that jumps to mind is the one against LSU where he had just thrown a beautiful pass to open up the second half. And then the next pass is a little floater to Delpit in the end zone after after he got pressured and hit right in the ribs. And, you know, the the offensive line didn't hold up its end of the bargain on that particular play. 
and when a quarterback gets pressured, they tend to make bad decisions, especially young quarterbacks. I think we still would have would have categorized Franks as a young quarterback last year against LSU. But you know, the other thing is is that it, there was an interesting thought experiment here, which is that Mullen had had five starters on his last year in at Mississippi state. And only one of those guys left between 2017 and 2018. And so you can look at the Mississippi state stats and say, well, how were they under Mullen? And then how were they last year under Joe Moorhead? And the opposite is true, right? So uh, on the, in the running game, they weren't much different. There were a few, there were a few things in particular, the power running that got worse for Mississippi state last year. But for the most part, the running stats were kind of a wash. But when you looked at the pat, when you looked at the pass stats, they were 92 spots worse in sack rate. They were 90 sec- 92 spots worse in sack rate on standard de- standard downs, and they were 66 spots worse on sack rate for passing downs. So, you know, this this offensive guru chucking the ball all over the place, Joe Moorhead up at Mississippi State, and all of a sudden the exact same guys on the offensive line couldn't block in passing situations, whereas the year before they could. And I think a lot of that has to go to, to Hevesy and Mullen, that they, they have both both technique and schematic things that really, really hide – warts that the offensive line has and if you look at what what the mississippi state offensive line was able to do over the last three or four years it's been pretty consistent that they've been a top tier offensive line and you know these are with guys that are in that three-star range they have the range they haven't had a whole lot of five-star guys on that offensive line and so you know we talk about we talk about recruiting we talk about how it's important but this is where development is important too and mississippi state's had a really good offensive line and in particular when you figure who have they been playing against right i mean they've been playing against auburn lsu alabama um you know even old miss has been pretty good in that time period and and you know those are defenses that really get after the quarterback and to have offensive lines that are holding up there into the bargain i think is a pretty good indicator that we should be pretty confident that Florida's offensive line is not going to be the weak link this year. And that doesn't mean they won't make mistakes from time to time, but they're, they're, they're not going to be the weak link. And that if there is a weak link on the line, that Mullen is going to find a way to scheme around it. Well, and I think the perfect example of that is the Mississippi State game on both sides. When Florida traveled to Starkville and played Mississippi State, we talked that if people go and read Rule's article, there's plenty of times. And look, we discussed it going into the Mississippi State game last year, and it was the storyline of the game where Florida helping their offensive line by getting the screens out there, quick, quick, uh, quick, uh, quick throw game from Felipe Franks, uh, getting the ball to the receivers behind the line of scrimmage, getting the ball out of Felipe Franks' hands, making the job easy for the offensive lineman, and then reverse that to the other side and talk about you know, Hevesy and, and Mullen leaving Mississippi State uh, and how their offensive line gave up so many sacks. They gave up six sacks against Florida last year. So, you know, talking, just going to Will's stat there about how worse Mississippi State's offensive line got by pass protection, you know, the, the, the prime example for both ends of the spectrum uh, of, of, the, of offensive line under John Hevesy and Dan Mullen was the Mississippi State game. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is when you really look at the film, it looks as though Mullen uses the running game to protect 
his offensive line in the passing game that that having franks as a threat back there to run opened some things up there was a there was a play i diagrammed in the michigan game where the middle linebacker was spying felipe franks in the red zone it's like repeat that repeat that will (laughs) the middle linebacker for michigan was spying felipe franks (laughs) in the red zone and it opened things up in fact it, it made it to where the offensive line got to block five on five rather than five on six and the linebacker just kind of stood there in the middle of the field and his responsibility was make was to account for Franks because Franks had hurt them running earlier in the game. And my favorite set of plays actually was if he went back and looked at the Kentucky game, um, you know, I think people remember the option play that they ran to P. Ryan pretty successfully against LSU. Well, that play was present against Kentucky, but they kept running it to the strong side. And that opened up the that that made it difficult for the left tackle to get out and make the block that he needed to do. So the next week or two weeks later against Mississippi State, they ran it to the weak side. And that allowed one it allowed Jawan Taylor to do what he does best on the outside but the other thing that it did was it really sort of took the choice like it became very clear for Franks what he was supposed to do and the defensive end because of the way he was sort of situated had to take Franks and get him to give up the ball and when he did the running back got around the corner so it's it's a small detail but running it to the short side of the field to the weak side of the formation is not something you would necessarily expect for an option play. But th- but they made that change and it opened things up and really sort of and, and in some capacity played to the strengths of their offensive line, but also played to the strengths of their quarterback and what they wanted him to do because they didn't particularly want Franks running that option downfield <laughs> unless he absolutely had to. And, and again, it's just a little thing, but making that little adjustment made a huge difference. And the offensive line didn't have to block successfully on that play in many places. It was just at, at some point it was Franks reading the defensive end and then pitching it out to Pirine and letting him get around the corner. And and that was successful against against Mississippi State. It was successful against LSU and and is sort of one of those adjustments that that Mullen is able to make to make his offensive line look better than maybe it is. All right, everybody. So it was a hot a hot topic on Twitter today, Will's article on, on the Florida offensive line and the improvement they made last year and maybe why it's not so big a big of a worry uh, for the 2019 season. So I recommend everybody go and go there and read it. Like I said, Will's got uh, examples of certain plays he's talking about uh, to kind of show improvement uh, of the offensive line and, and scheming and coaching from uh, John Hevesy and Dan Mullen. So highly, highly recommend that read and reaction. Uh, dot com. So, Will, a couple more key players that we're going to look at uh, for the uh, defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to lead it off here with Marco Wilson. Uh, I think we saw how key Marco Wilson was last season, and, and while Trey Dean filled in admirably, Wilson gives you two lockdown corners on the field when paired with C.J. Henderson. Now, you know, all, much like Malik Davis, uh, all this is determined just how healthy and how quick and you know, he, he can bounce back from the knee injury, uh, but all reports are, are great there uh, we already know how how blitz happy uh, and disruptive Todd Grantham can be with his scheme well you know just imagine uh, when you have two lockdown corners on the field and uh, you know pro football focus put out a, a stat last week where CJ Henderson only allowed 18 catches on 343 coverage snaps last season and gave up zero touchdowns zero touchdowns given up by CJ Henderson uh, last year so you would you would have to think that Marco Wilson would improve on his 20, 2017 season um uh, you know, there where, you know, he joined Joe Hayden and, and the, the likes of Joe Hayden, Janoris Jenkins and Marcus Robeson as the the only four true freshmen uh, to start at cornerback on opening day uh, for the Gators there. And you know, Marco Wilson started all 11 games throughout the, the season uh, in 2017, 34 tackles, team high, 10 pass breakups. Uh, and those 10 breakups were the most by a true freshman in Florida's history since Vernon Hargraves uh, recorded 11 in 2013. So, 
adding Marco back uh, in the fold allows Grantham to stay creative in the front seven, keep trading uh, in that nickel star spot, keeps them from forcing your know, Kyrie Elam from, from being thrusted onto the field and not saying, you know, he can't be ready or won't be ready, but at this point in time, he'd be, he'd be no Marco Wilson uh, at this point. So, you know, Wilson returning a hundred percent is key for me in this entire defense. Really. It helps up front. Uh, and in the back back end as well, where, where Florida would have their best three defensive backs on the field uh, at the same time with you know Wilson, Henderson, and uh, and Dean back there. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. You mentioned the ten pass defense, the ten pass breakups. I mean, what that kind of indicates is people were avoiding C.J. Henderson even even early on, and, and chucking it in Wilson's direction, and was certainly holding up over there. Um, he also had, I think, thirty four tackles two years ago. So mm-hmm. it's not as if he wasn't able to mix it up and sort of play some of those uh, bubble screens and get into the backfield a little bit as well. And we saw that last year a little bit with CJ Henderson blitzing off the edge every once in a while yeah. in key situations. And if Wilson shows that ability, then you can come from either side. And that's not, I don't recall seeing a blitz from Trey Dean coming from the other side. It was, it was really CJ Henderson mm-hmm. coming on those blitzes. And so you wonder whether maybe Grantham can be a little bit more multiple in terms of where he's coming from based on who he has out there. But, you know, I think you mentioned, You've obviously got Huggins out there who showed some stuff during mm-hmm. the spring, during spring practice. But you know, you want Trey Dean to be the star, right? I mean, you want him to be at that at that star position. You want him to be more in the slot. I think it takes advantage of some of the skills that he shoot. You know, he was recruited originally as a safety. Takes advantage of some of those skills that he has, as opposed to necessarily putting him on an island on the outside. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Wilson was a really, really good player when he went down with that injury and was a really good player two years ago. And if he can recover to be being the same type of player, then I think Florida's got a really solid, solid backside of the def- of the of the defense. But, you know, again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said about Malik Davis, which is that, you know, sometimes these injuries take, you know, more than a full year to get to get your explosion back. I suppose if you're going to say the good news associated with that is that Wilson's injury happened pretty early in the year, so it hasn't. You know, it's not as if it happened in the Michigan game and he's coming back eight months afterwards. It, you know, it happened in the Kentucky game, and so it will have been a full year. So hopefully, uh, hopefully he's able to recover fully, has that explosiveness, and can really make a difference on the outside. We'll always go back to I think one of the first times you were on Gators Breakdown. You talk about how key, how key it is to to be to be strong up front. Uh, and depth up front, uh, and that's kind of where your your key player on defense uh, le- leads the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you really want to look at where, so I think a lot of people are concerned about Florida's offensive line. I'd be a little bit concerned about their defensive line. I just think you know, with the guys they've lost, I mean, Jordan Sherritt from a couple of years ago, and they, they've lost other. You know, CC Jefferson is gone now, and you lose. Um, you know, you, you lose uh, polite off the defensive line as well. The question is who's going to step into that space and who's going to, and, and then you've also got Amari Bernie stepping in at linebacker and, and all reports are that he's flying all over the place, but it's hard to fly all over the place when you've got an offensive lineman on your, you know, on your shoulder pads. And so, um, you know, the defensive tackles are going to be really key. And, and, you know, Slayton is the guy again at high level, talented guy who came in you need those guys to deliver um, when you don't bring in a ton of them and Florida hasn't necessarily brought in a ton of defensive tackle now you know last year he had 21 tackles and one and a half tackles for loss whereas the year before he had 11 11 total tackles and one and a half tackles for loss so it's not as if he's putting up huge stats but you know sacks and tackles for loss are sort of um, 
they're not stats you necessarily look at for a defensive tackle and say, is he doing a good job or is he not doing a good job, especially in a 3-4 defense. And you do wonder, now that he's in his second year with Grantham's defense, sort of understands what he needs to do, is he going to be effective basically at occupying two offensive linemen? I mean, if, if you look at offensive line play, those offensive linemen wanted to combo block the guys on the inside, right? You want two offensive linemen to hit that defensive tackle and then one of them to get out and get out to a linebacker. And when he gets out to a linebacker, then the running back has a cutback lane. And, uh, you know, if Slayton can occupy those two guys up front, and he's really the guy who's got the the overall physical talent to be able to do that, if he can occupy those two guys up front, then Bernie and David Reese can just sort of fly around back there and make all the tackles. And, you know, we talked a lot last year about linebackers not being in the right gap. Well, this year, if the linebackers are in the right gap and Slayton can occupy guys up front, then Florida's going to have a really effective defense because you're not going to be able to run on them with the speed that the linebackers have. So, um, you know, I, I, Slayton playing well up front or really any defensive tackle playing well up front is going to open up what those linebackers can do. And so I think you probably won't see it in terms of like tackles for loss and sacks in terms of Slayton. Mm-hmm. I think what you might see it is, you know, 14 tackles for Amari Bernie in a big game. And some of that will be due to Slayton being up there up front and Elijah Conliffe as well, being up there up front to, to occupy blockers and letting those linebackers roam. Yeah, I think the question there is, you know, you're pretty you're pretty happy with what you think you're going to get from Jonathan Grenard, the transfer there, uh, and Jabari Zuniga, who who really came on last season paired with uh, Jacob Polite. So if you can get that same kind of pairing with Polite and, and Zuniga, or, or with Grenard and Zuniga, then you know, you you go to go to tackle in there. At, you know, you hope maybe what, what we're saying with behind those guys uh, at, at linebacker and, and edge rusher, you know, you. You know, not necessarily kind of concentrate just just on the, the defensive tackles uh, on that line where they probably can go four deep. And I, another positive there, I think, with with Schuler and Kyrie Campbell coming along last year when Slayton and Conliffe uh, kind of proved that you know they couldn't get it done early on in the season. If those guys do step up, it gives you a pretty good four man rotation and, and and where you can you you can go with Schuler, Campbell, Slayton, Conliffe, and keep those guys. Fresh, keep them keep them healthy, uh, and, and hopefully bring in some versatility. With you know the guys, guys probably bring some different things uh, to the field, uh, some different qualities. Uh, Schuler, I think you know, bring some quickness there, but some other guys, Slayton and Conliffe, you know, some quickness and some strength. Uh, Kyrie Campbell, a bit kind of bigger type there, really strong uh, type of guy. So you're getting kind of different type of players with the four guys. Uh, Florida can 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 bring along the defensive tackle spot. Yeah, I mean, I think the rotation is what's important in terms of what you said there, right? Is that inevitably in an SEC game, you're going to have a guy who gets nicked or you're going to have a point where the defense is gassed and the defensive tackles, if they've been out there all game, are are just going to give stuff up because they haven't been able to get a blow. And so Slayton doesn't even really need to be, and Conliffe don't even really need to be starters. They need to be, they need to be difference makers when they go out there to supplement the stuff that Schuler and Campbell did last year. And, you know, I don't want to shortchange those guys because they did a very good job last year, in particular in the Tennessee game. I remember Schuler really, really, really sort of announcing his presence as, as a transfer and, and looking at that saying, oh, well, you know, that guy earned the job apparently during practice because he's playing really well during the game. Um, 
But again, you're not going to get through the SEC schedule, and you're not going to get through a game with Georgia or a game with LSU with two defensive tackles. You're going to have to rotate people in there. And so having Slayton and Conliffe step into that role I think is going to be important. Otherwise, your linebackers are going to get drilled, and and you're going to give up some runs, and you're going to wonder, you know, why why did somebody get gassed there? It's like, well, it's because some it's because an offensive lineman got on a linebacker, and and that's not something you necessarily see when you're watching it live if you're not looking for it. But you know, typically those defensive tackles, especially in the three four schemes, are really important just to occupy those blockers up front. All right, we'll get into some of the uh, listener thoughts on key players, but before we do, Will Gator kicks. Boom. Has a new release. There. Sent them. Got them in the mail today. The um, new release, uh, Dan Mullen Media Day 4s uh, is what they're calling them. They'll be available tomorrow, Tuesday, at thegatorkicks.com. You may have uh, you may have seen the Gator-inspired Jordan 4s a couple of weeks ago, uh, but these sample remakes pay homage to the, the ones Dan Mullen wore last year at uh, SEC Media Days uh, there. So uh, head to thegatorkicks.com. Uh, where you can also uh, request additional custom 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 uh, customization uh, to these shoes there. So uh, that's the GatorKicks.com. There, orange and blue, white, uh, with the Jordan logo there. Uh, those guys, uh, Gator Kicks, do do great work. And uh, Will, have you broken in your uh, the Jordans they sent you in a couple weeks ago? I have, I have, and they fit, so that's great. They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid they weren't going to be big enough, but hey, they, they they're working out well, and appreciate that. And certainly, you know, I've been to their site and looked at the uh, looked at the customization stuff they do. There. That's pretty cool too. So people should check that out. Absolutely. All right. So I mentioned uh, you guys have sent in some of your key players that you're uh, expecting big things from, uh, or just some key players that that, that will uh, play important roles uh, here for the Gators in the 2019 season. We'll start off with uh, Lucas Mann here uh, saying Frank's in the entire offensive line. This team will go as far as Frank's in the offensive line takes it. Uh, We can just average, if we can just get average offensive line play, uh, I can see 11 wins, including a bowl win. But the O-line is bad, six wins there. So kind of along the same lines, uh, C3, good friend C3 here, uh, says Gene Lance. So this guy will emerge as right tackle, uh, will be a key piece moving on to 2020. Um, Clint Lawrence says Bernie at linebacker. He's going to shine, Dave. And uh, a lot of talk there, uh, you know, kind of just discuss how important the uh, defensive line is in relation to the uh, linebacker core. Uh, yeah, Bernie stepping in uh, for Vashawn Joseph and seeing a type of playmaker uh, there. He can be uh, Michael Michael Pfeffer uh, there from uh, joined us here a couple weeks ago uh, on um, uh, Chomp Talk, right, Will? Yep. Yep, there. So uh, he says trading. Uh, he will have some big shoes to fill at the star position, but if he comes in into his own, he will wreak havoc on opposing offenses uh, the way that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson did. And that is one player, Will, uh, Trey Dean stepping in for star and the, kind of the freelancing Chauncey Gardner Johnson could do at times and, and the big playmaking ability remains to be seen. If Trey Dean can be that type of playmaker, uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson really excelled in that role, really bounced back from 2017, and, and we saw saw it all in in, in its glory uh, in, in the bowl game against Michigan with two picks and one return for a pick six. Um, I don't know if we'll get that type of uh, of playmaking ability, but can you know? I'm not even necessarily looking at big play interceptions that trading can 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 he blitz? Can he get back there to the quarterback? Can he tackle uh, a running back on a uh, on a swing pass? Can he get back to the wide receiver that's catching a, a wide receiver screen? Because Johnson Gardner Johnson would, would bust through would be blockers and go make a tackle behind the line of scrimmage. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Dean's shown that capability, at least, you know, <laughs> just based on based on his high school tape and different things like that, but wasn't asked to do it very much last year. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things, same thing with the offensive lineman, right? You don't know it until you've seen it, but you suspect, or at least I suspect, that if he was able to move from inside to outside relatively smoothly last year, that that experience on the outside getting the cover experience is only going to help him when he moves back inside. And so, you know, if you've got a lockdown guy in the slot, who's a little bit bigger than maybe your traditional corner who can, who can go in there and make a tackle from time to time. Um, it's going to be a successful part of your defense. And, and Mullen and Grantham have talked about this, having guys who are versatile, who can move inside and outside. And, and certainly Dean's shown his ability to do that thus far. All right. Uh, let's see the name at uh, Riverside Lax 39 says Kyle Pitts. Uh, he's a complete mismatch for almost anyone, especially since he'll be, most likely line up against linebackers or third best cornerback. I think he makes a lot of plays in clutch situations. Stats may not be crazy like Jefferson or Grimes, but a lot of key third down plays and in in zone touchdowns. Another thing about uh, Kyle Pitts, will um, a player I, I I go back to, and I was comparing Jaheim Bell, a uh, current commit from Van Austin that the Gators have to Cornelius Ingram, but maybe Kyle Pitts is also kind of used in that similar role back uh, that we saw Cornelius Ingram uh, w- was able to do back uh, over Myers head coach in you know, 2007, that, that year uh, where Ingram really, really showed out there. But maybe, you know, maybe the, the, that type of role uh, for Pitts. And we saw the creativity uh, on offense last year from the tight end position a, a good bit involved in some trick plays as well. Sure. I mean, I, I think the key question for any of these guys at tight end is going to be how do they block? Because if you've got a guy who can block and dictate that they have to have a linebacker in for him when he's when he's situated near the line of scrimmage, then you can split him out. And this is really, you know, Rob Gronkowski for the Patriots was was a fantastic route runner and really, really good when he got out there. But one of the reasons was he was always getting guarded by a linebacker because they had to keep a linebacker in because he was such a good blocker up front. And, and that combination is special. I'm not comparing anybody to Gronkowski, but what it is, one of the reasons why the Patriots always had a matchup advantage is because the tight end could block and could go out and catch the ball. And Pitts last year, they spread, they they split him out wide a lot like a wide receiver. He was able to use his body to make some catches maybe that a wide receiver might not be able to do. Um, certainly that's a valuable thing, but I think really his the the significance of any of these tight ends value is going to be tied into how they how can they block. Because if you have if you have to have have a blocking tight end and then you have to have a pass catching tight end, well then the defense kind of knows what's coming, or at least they can put a nickel back on the field when you've got your pass tight pass catching tight end and so that's kind of what i'd be looking for for Pitts. not necessarily what's he doing when he's split outside it's what's he doing when he's inside and he's blocking uh a few more here uh casey hampton says amari bernie he could play to the level of elite and feel the leadership gap with chauncey leaving he could be the linchpin of the defense if he plays to the level we need him to and know he can um gator lyle lyle saunders uh he might have got a Quick preview of the episode somehow. We don't know how he did this, but he says probably Brett Heggie anchoring and leading the, the offensive line on defense. I say as a group of defensive tackles and whoever ends up playing the star positions. So uh, you know he kind of kind of went the route that we went with with the uh, some of the players there uh, with Heggie defensive tackle and, and the star position and kind of along the same lines as Gator George UF. Uh, he says Marco. Uh, in his absence last year, meant in an unbalanced secondary, having two NFL-caliber cornerbacks this year could make the difference when we're back in Jacksonville. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we we've pretty much named every guy in the field at this point. I think, <laughs> and I mean, and that's the reality, right? Is that you have to have, you know, Franks can't take a step back. P Ryan has to be just as effective. Malik Davis has to come out and, and prove that he can stay healthy. Same with Brett Heggie. Buchanan has to play the same way he did last year. We need a right tackle to step into the spot left by Jawan Taylor. We need a left tackle to step into the spot left by left by Martez Ivy. There, there's just and, and it's like this for every team right now, right? You're look every team during the offseason is looking and saying, Hey, we have a hole here, we have a hole there, where are we gonna fill it? There are a few teams that probably feel more comfortable with those with filling those holes than others. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I feel pretty comfortable with the names that were thrown out there in terms of their ability to perform. Um, you know, are they gonna be all SEC guys? Maybe, maybe not, but are they gonna be competent starters on the field? I think definitely they will be. Derek Barfield, Will Miles says there is never any answer except Tommy Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to be overlooked. I mean, Florida returns two specialists, and I think they get overlooked right now because they're pretty given. They're, they are given as a, a reliable you know, specialist out, out there. Evan McPherson, uh, no way. Very consistent field goal kicker and, and can kick it from distance as well. And and uh, Townsend uh, out there kicking punts. Uh, there, you know, there, there's not really a worry about those guys. You know, before Eddie Pinheiro, we were it seemed like we were discussing field goal kicking week in and week out. You know, costing the Gators here or there, uh, and you know how those tight games would always come down there. But you know, the, the last two waves uh, of Florida kickers and, and, and punters, not a lot to worry about there. Will. Yeah, I certainly don't take the place kickers for for granted. Yeah, <laughs> with all with the with the dental student coming in for the what was it the Georgia game or whatever it was, and being fearful to kick extra points and all those sorts of things. But uh, you know, I, I think from a punting perspective, it feels like even you know going back to Eric Wilbur and, mm-hmm. and some of those guys, the the punting has always been fantastic at Florida. So, you know, it, it is something that we take for granted that these guys are so good and that you go from, from Johnny to Tommy. And, and I like that Tommy's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe not spearing people. to <laughs> 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 be good, but you know, I, I think the, it, it's always fun to see the fact that the fact that a fake can come because it's pretty clear that, that Tommy Townsend has some athletic ability is kind of exciting. Just, you know, it, it, really sort of changed the i would say the vanderbilt game um you know that fake sort of set florida in the on the path to come to come back from being behind there so um yeah special teams are always going to play a role especially in close games it's one of the things we saw last year's florida was pretty good in one score games they were very good against top 25 teams um, and a lot of that has to do with field position and where you're able to pin your opponent all right last few here uh yeah, the one lengthy one uh, as well for these guys who uh, sent him in here. Brian Wetzel says he's got to go with P. Ryan. He will be the bell cow of this offense and get the critical first downs while the offensive line still getting up to speed. Now, Brian at BTH0025 says Stone Forsyth got to protect that blind side. Um, uh, hey, Brent Pope uh, says on offense, Stone Forsyth because uh, – Franks has to be able to trust his offensive line. And on defense, Jabari Zuniga as the heir apparent to Ja'Kai Polite because we need to make the opposing quarterback scared. Uh, and Jake Afrin's had a lengthy post, uh, a really good one here on safety. Brad Stewart being a, a key player here. Uh, there he goes, I'm not sure any Gator had a more memorable, memorable moment last year than Brad Stewart had with his pick six versus LSU. Uh, Brad had another had other memorable plays, the agro, acrobatic pick versus Tennessee but had a tough time staying on the field due to what was rumored to be some of the off-field issues. 
We have all seen the potential this guy has. He's fast, instinctive, and has an attitude confidence to him that you like to see in a defensive back, something that I don't think can be matched by other guys in the safety group. He has the ability to play that deep safety, eraser role, and fly around in the defensive backfield, allowing our stud cornerbacks to be physical at the line of scrimmage and likely Jawan Taylor creep into the box for added run support, thus allowing our front seven to focus more on getting to the quarterback. If Stewart can stay out of trouble and prove to his coaches and teammates that he can be reliable, he can let his talent shine and add even more athleticism and swagger to a defensive back unit that should be able to shut down almost any passing game they see this year. I think Stewart has the ability to be a breakout all-SEC type. Uh, if he can stay out of the doghouse, he can be – he can add the final touch to a defense that should be top 10 uh, this season. So a really good post there that he shared uh, that he made on, on Gator Country and really made a compelling point there for, for uh, Brad Stewart to, to be a pretty key uh, player, Will. Yeah, you know, I, we've obviously seen flashes. Yeah. At the same time, you do wonder. I mean, I sort of think of it as like the same thing on offense where, you know, Mullins made some comments about Kadarius Tony freelancing and how that's limited the amount of time he's been on the field. Um, and maybe it's not necessarily the on-field stuff, but 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 how hard do you work in practice and do you put the study in and all those sorts of things? And those aren't things that we necessarily are privy to, but you know, there's a reason Stewart hasn't been on the field as much and some, and um, you know, and it's probably not talent, but, but part of like, there is a talent to being where you're supposed to be to, to knowing what you're supposed to do and being consistent. And the guys who've been back there, you know, Donovan, Donovan Steiner and Quincy Linton and some of those guys have, have proven that they have the capability of doing that. So um, again, I think it's sort of like the defensive line. I mean, ideally you'd sort of, you'd love to have a guy who can be back there at all times in the safety spot and who can, and you see this with linebackers, right? Like a lot of times in the NFL, you'll hear people talk about a three down linebacker, somebody who can be out there for, who can, who can do stuff in coverage and then can also support the run. And so they can be out there for all three downs. I think safety maybe is even the same thing where, you know, there might be guys who are a little bit better in run support, guys who are a little bit better, uh, you know, when they're playing a zone defense, guys who are a little bit better when they're playing man-to-man, and, and they may have to sort of rotate people in based on what Grantham's trying to do based on the skill sets of their guys back there. Last two thoughts here. Coley Townsend says on offense, I'd say the entire receiver core, nobody knows what the offensive line is going to be like. Receivers need to create separation right from the jump to give Frank somewhere to put the ball. He may not have very long to get rid of the ball. And Lance Carlson last year uh, says Marco Wilson on defense can't let our secondary get thin again. Antonio on offense got to draw, got to draw the opposing defense uh, attention there. So thanks to all those guys out there uh, for sending their thoughts uh, and uh, on this topic of some key gators um, that we can, uh, that everybody's excited to see uh, and they, that will contribute in this 2019 season. So one more thing, Will, before uh, a little fun topic here. Uh, that kind of swung your way. Uh, you tweeted uh, a couple of days ago, is it football season yet? Getting the house ready with my boy as your son is hanging the uh, Florida Gator flag uh, on the house. And uh, it is a is a Florida Gator flag with the old school Albert uh, kind of standing Gator with his arms out to the side and then the, uh, you know, the big block F uh, on his sweater. And uh, there were some, there were some comments out there that uh, it was, uh, discussing that was somebody's favorite Gator logo. So you and I got uh, kind of talking behind the scenes is uh, I think Nathan says that Albert logo is the best Gators logo. So uh, you and I got kind of talking behind the scenes. Uh, it would be 
funny before we get here on this episode to discuss what our gator our, our favorite gator uh logo would be so I'll, I'll let you start the way with that one yeah man i you know the funny part is i like the albert logo the old school albert logo but my favorite is is just the old uf you know the circle with the alligator in the state of florida that the charlie pale shield there you go. I, I love that one, man. Like I've got hats with it on it. I've, I do wood burning. I've got some of those sitting around my house and you know, it, it to me, it's just, I don't know. It, it's what came on all the official documentation when I got accepted to the school and when I was applying and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's kind of the, it's kind of the first thing I think of when I think of the university of Florida, it's the thing that was on sort of all the engineering letterhead and all that sort of stuff. So beyond just the football program, there's a sentimental uh, aspect of it. Just, you know, as it being sort of the official, the official school seal and those sorts of things. But uh, I, I love that one, man. Just the, the, the Gator and the, and the Florida sort of making the UF show up and pop. I, I, that's my favorite. And, you know, I'm old these days, Dave. Like, so, and the, the funny part is, is I love the script F in the middle of the field. Um, I know they have to put the Gator there. I understand why they have to do it, but but the F on the field is 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 one of my favorite ones too. So, um, you know, it just if if it's if it's something that was there when I was there, that's usually the kind of thing that I like. Yeah, the the uh, the logo you're talking about, the Pell, the Charlie Pell UF logo. That's what I guess a lot of people refer it to, to as. That is the first logo I remember seeing. Uh, growing up and the old the old times when uh, SEC teams used to play on TBS uh, before TBS became more of a comedy uh, channel. I remember Florida Georgia playing on TBS in the early 90s and that 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 Charlie Pell logo uh, being uh, kind of the, the logo that you saw and uh, hey look the Gator script on the on the side of the helmet is very identifiable and no, a lot of people are not going to agree with me, but uh, I'm wearing the hat. And if you're watching the YouTube version, uh, the white helmet behind me too, with the with the new slanted F, that that is my favorite logo has been since the, uh, they released it. Uh, I know it's not very popular. I know there's a big stink out there with the white helmets as well because uh, Florida just seems to lose when they play in them. But uh, if you think uniform has a outcome on a game, I'm sorry, I, I can't uh, agree with you there. But uh, the uh, slant F, fast F, I think is what you have calls it. Uh, is my favorite game logo yeah man you, you know it's funny i i think the white helmets look really sharp and the speed helmet with the f that sort of has the metallic flakes in it is is really really sharp but there's something about when you turn on the game and they got the blue jersey on with the orange helmet there is no other team that has that combination i mean maybe boise state but they usually wear a blue helmet with their yeah. blue jersey right so there's no other team that has that and i think there's value to when you turn on the game and you, you know you used to hear Vern on cbs and you know that it's florida because they've got that uniform on especially when they're wearing the blue pants and the blue jersey with the orange helmet at night i mean that's you know and and i, I like the gator script a lot too but i mean i hear where you're coming from i i and Hell, if the recruits like the white helmets, wear them every game. I don't care. But, but yeah, I, I, the funny part is, is that um, there are just so many logos for Florida. Yeah. Many different ways that they branded themselves, and you know, you look at you look up Northwest in Tallahassee, and man, there are some ugly logos up there. So, <laughs> I mean, I like the garnet and gold colors. I think those are actually really pretty colors, but. Um, you know, now they've gone like, what was that last year against Virginia Tech? Was it like, no, that black? Yeah. Like, what were they thinking? So, I when they did that rebrand a few years ago and they came out and their helmets looked purple, 
instead of instead of garnet <laughs> they had to get them all remade and stuff because <laughs> it looked purple and gold it was like okay uh, that, that looks kind of weird uh, uh, yeah. I mean, they, they had to get prepared for the <laughs> they wanted to look good when they had the the 18 tackles for loss or whatever against virginia Tech. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right even florida yeah the, the, just the amount of logos the gator head which is the most synonymous now uh, and then the uh, the fast F, those, those two logos kind of be the new modern way uh, of moving forward uh, with with Gator Sports and and Gator logos and uh, the, the jerseys and such. But the, yeah, the, still the script uh, as the spinning helmet behind me uh, shows off. You know, the, the script uh, the script on the uh, orange helmets is is very identifiable and noticeable. Uh, and uh, you, you know, you're watching the Gators uh, when you see that. But yeah, you got the the pale logo, the the standing Albert. Uh, then they redid the standing Albert when they'd had the fast F come out in like the mid nineties as well. And yeah, there's a, the old block F. Yeah. There's a part, part if you're buying t-shirts and, and hats, you got, you got plenty of options to choose from. <laughs> I'm just glad they sort of decided to experiment with the basketball team first. And then, <laughs> and then if people like it, they bring it over to the football team rather than, rather than the other way around. Cause you know, though, I mean, I don't know, they had sort of that swamp green a couple of years ago. They decided oh, to break out. And, and that's probably my least favorite uh, <laughs> uniform combination, but uh, Hey, you know what, man, it's, it's good. The house is decked out in it. It's, it's definitely the type of stuff my parents, get me every year when uh you know when they don't know what to get me for christmas and uh yeah i'll, I'll take the pell logo any day of the week man all right that's uh well miles thoughts there uh on, on gator logos and stuff well uh you'll be out next week uh traveling right yeah i'm actually going to spain for work so um they'll probably be- break down from spain <laughs> yeah i doubt it <laughs> <laughs> Now I'll probably post some things on Twitter from uh, you know some old churches. I'm gonna go visit them over there. This is actually for work. This isn't for this isn't for pleasure. But I'm sure we'll get away a little bit while we're over there and and see some stuff. So yeah, I'm excited about the trip, but uh, certainly ready to get back and and talk more Florida when, once we do. All right, so that's Will Miles. You can find his work at readandreaction.com. Really good article, as we uh, alluded to earlier uh, on the uh, Florida offensive line. And well, it may not be such a worry uh, as it's kind of perceived uh, out there right now. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>